come to say is that I'm very aware of the fact this morning that there are many people here who have and are currently facing situations that are unspeakably painful. Maybe you've been thrown a curveball in recent days that you never dreamed would come to you. My prayer this morning is that your eyes will be lifted from your temporary trial, and remember, it is temporary, to timeless truth about the one who is bigger and more powerful than the darkest trouble that Satan can hurl at you. It was on October 30th of 1997 that my husband Tim and I found ourselves sitting in a Grand Rapids doctor's office. We sat there holding our sweet five-week-old son when a very kind and gentle doctor looked into our faces and simply said, what I'm going to getting ready to tell you is the worst news you will ever hear about your child. He went on to say as we sat in stunned silence that he was 99% sure that our little baby had retinoblastoma or very large malignant tumors in his left eye. He told us that retinoblastoma is very rare but it affects children and babies under the age of five. He said that the cancer may already be in Jesse's brain. He just didn't know we would have to investigate further. You talk about turning our world upside down on that afternoon. This was not in our plan of how we wanted our life to go. We were missionaries. We were serving God in the Philippines. Only one year earlier, I had sold everything that I owned down to my last fork and bath towel to move away from my mom 10,000 miles to the other side of the world to serve the Lord. We were only back in the States for a four-week visit, and this was supposed to have been a well-baby checkup that day. You can imagine, we never dreamed that we would be given news like this. We had our tickets in hand to return to the Philippines only 11 days later. And I remember the thought going through my mind, Lord, what are you doing? I obeyed you. I surrendered to your will. I moved far away from everything that was familiar. And you give me a kid with cancer? Seriously? What in the world was going to happen to our son? Surely this could not be happening to us. This began our journey, a four-year journey that we could never have imagined. But through pain and bewilderment, lots of tears, and finally triumph, we learned that yes, this God that we serve could indeed be trusted. And as He walked with us through every one of those terrifying days, we were given glimpses of His greatness that we never could have experienced had we not had this trial come to us. And we found that we could praise Him even more because He truly was and is worthy of our praise, that He is good, sovereign, wise, compassionate, and always and forever for us. So I want to share with you this morning, through the telling of Jesse's story, which is really a God story. And we have told Jesse many times, Jesse, it can never be about you because it's all about God. That no matter what you're facing this morning, what we want you to see is that no matter what you're facing or how difficult your situation is, that God is powerful and almighty enough to bring you through. As Tim and I walked out of that doctor's office that evening, we were reeling. We had never had anything bad happen to us before. We had known nothing but what I would have termed in those days the goodness of God, which was to me a lack of personal pain. We had both had wonderful godly parents and were loved and cared for. We had three beautiful children and we were serving God on the mission field. Life was good. But in that instant, with those words, your son has cancer, 
everything changed. We went from having a job, a ministry, a home to live in, a place to serve, to basically being handed an envelope with the word unknown stamped on it. One week later, I stood and watched as they hooked my tiny six-week-old baby up to powerful chemotherapy drugs and started treatment to try to kill these tumors. And over the next two years, Jesse had chemotherapy, radiation, cryosurgeries, which is freezing the tumors, laser surgeries, everything that they could do in an effort to destroy this cancer. And when he was six months old, the doctor told us that he had developed two malignant tumors in his right eye as well as his left. It was around his set, right after his second birthday that the doctor informed us that there was nothing else that they could do to save his left eye. He said the cancer is threatening the optic nerve. If it gets out of the, if it gets out of the eye, it will go straight to the brain and it is a certain death for your child. So we have to remove the eye. While that was very difficult for us as parents, it was also kind of a relief because I thought maybe the worst part of this cancer is going to be out of his body, he's going to be able to live a normal, healthy life, and they'll be able to save the other eye, which will retain some vision for him. And so we allowed them to remove the left eye. I'll never forget three days later, going back to the doctor, we had been given the instructions not to touch the bandage. The doctor said, it's going to be very traumatic. I don't want you to bother it over the weekend. I want to be the first one to remove the first bandage. And so when we went back and he peeled that dressing off our son's eye, I was shocked and sickened by what I saw. Where there had been a beautiful brown eye, there was now only an ugly, vacant hole. It was horrible. I held myself together, but on the, in the car on the ride home, I cried. I told my husband... This is way too hard. They have taken our beautiful child and mutilated him. They have made a monster of him. Well, I can't do this. This isn't fair. But it was only a few hours later that we heard screaming and laughing in the hallway of our house. When we went to investigate, we figured out that Jesse, who was very aware of his status as the one-eyed kid in the family now, had decided to chase his siblings down the hall declaring himself a monster. We had to laugh. And I remember thinking, you know, this laughter on this night is a really good gift from a really good God. I was very anxious to get Jesse fitted with a new prosthetic eye because he wouldn't leave a patch on it, and everywhere we went, he would take it off, and people were horrified, and we got all kinds of funny looks at Walmart, and everywhere we went... I wanted my son to look normal again, and so we went to an ocularist in Detroit, Michigan. And when we walked into that office, I was a little nervous. I had never even seen a glass eye before, or a fake eye. It's not really glass, but I'd never seen one. I didn't know what it looked like. I didn't know what the process was going to be. didn't know what to expect, and I was nervous. But this man was, he was used to it, and he was kind of, uh, not unkind, but he was kind of gruff, and he didn't offer us any gentle explanations. He didn't tell us what he was doing. But to my horror, he pried Jesse's eye open, and uh, Jesse screaming like a banshee. He reached around behind him, opened a drawer, and started rummaging around in a drawer full of eyes that were clattering around like marbles in a tin can, trying to find the right one. He finally pulls it out, puts Jesse in a headlock, and I was so angry by this time, I wanted to hit him. I was like, dude, we are not buying a pair of shoes. This is a body part. Please tell us what you're doing. But... Only seconds later, I remember Jesse's head coming up, and when he looked at me and stopped crying, 
Where it had been so ugly and disfigured, there was a beautiful brown eye. I was overjoyed and instantly went from wanting to hurt this man to wanting to hug his neck. And I realized right then that even though we didn't understand everything that was going on, he knew what the final product was going to be and he knew I was going to love what he was getting ready to do. And as I thought about that, I thought that how many times have I been guilty of during those days even wondering, God, what are you doing? Please explain along the way. I want God to tell me everything that's going on in the midst of my suffering and why I'm having to endure that. But sometimes he chooses not to tell us why along the way. But what I learned is that God can redeem the ugliest and most horrific situations in your life and mine, turning it into something beautiful if we will only trust him with it. As I said, cancer had invaded Jesse's right eye as well. It seemed minimal, and the doctors assured us that, you know what, we are going to be able to save sight in in your son's uh, remaining eye. So we continued very intensive treatments for the next two years, but as much as we continued treatment, the cancer continued to grow relentlessly. And it was in the summer of 2001 that the doctor came out from those steel doors, and after a difficult day and a bad report on Jesse's cancer, he looked at Tim and I and he said, Mr. and Mrs. Keith, you need to understand something, and that is that life is more important than sight. And I recoiled inwardly at those words on that day because I knew exactly what he was gently trying to prepare it for, but our hearts were slow to accept it. So that was a summer that I'll never forget. We made wonderful memories that I'll remember forever. They will forever be with me. I felt an almost frantic urgency that summer to show Jesse everything. We took long nature walks. We took multiple trips to the zoo. It was very important to this mom that my son know what an elephant and a monkey and a zebra look like. And I have to say that we may have overdone it a little bit because a couple of months after Jesse lost his sight, I was feeling so sentimental one day, and I said, Jesse, do you remember what mommy looks like? And he said, yeah, you look just like a giraffe. (laughs) I remember also that summer our friends loaning us their cabin on Lake Superior just to get away from the stress of it all for a few days. It was an unforgettable week that we spent there. The kids played the days away, burying themselves in the sugar sand and taking long walks on the beach, collecting beautiful rocks. We let them stay up way past their bedtime just to look at the beautiful 11 p.m. sunsets. Tim and I would get up early and go for walks on the beach. Usually we would walk separate ways. He would walk this way and I would walk that way. Not because we were mad at each other or didn't want to be together, but we both needed that alone time to pour our hearts out to God and try to make some sense of all of this. In that tranquil place... When I would talk to God, my worries would wash away just like the sand on the beach and my peace would be restored and God would sustain my hope for the future. That week was truly the calm before the storm. Jesse's vision continued to worsen and deteriorate over the summer. I cried on the day when after a very invasive treatment to the tumor, he walked up to my sister, climbed up on her lap and looked intently into her face before saying, Are you my mommy? It terrified both Tim and me to see his vision slipping away, all the while knowing there was nothing we could do to stop it from happening. In August of that year, the doctors tried one last attempt 
to destroy the tumors by sewing a radioactive plaque onto the tumor and leaving it in for four days. Jesse was in isolation for four or five days. So this was his first experience with blindness. He was absolutely devastated and inconsolable. Tim and I reassured him the whole week, Jesse, this is only going to be for four days, buddy. In four days, they're going to take that patch off and you're going to be able to see. We promise you it's only for four days. And I remember the day that they took the patch off. He jumped off that hospital bed, grabbed me around the neck and said, Mommy, I can see you. I can see you. We were overjoyed in how much we prayed and hoped that that treatment would be efficient and effective to kill the tumors. But it was only four short weeks later, on a Thursday afternoon, September 6 of 2001, that Jesse's doctor came through those double doors once again to talk to us. By the look on his face, I knew it wasn't good. He crouched down and sitting on his heels, he said, I have some really bad news. Things are not good. This eye needs to come out now. It's pressing on the optic nerve. It's either his life or his sight. I remember asking him, uh, is there any way we could have the weekend? We cannot do this today. We are not mentally prepared to do this today. Can we have the weekend? He consented, and so we left, uh, scheduling the surgery for Monday, the following Monday. I asked my husband that weekend, I said, Tim, how in the world do you tell an almost four-year-old little boy that he's going to be blind? How are we going to tell him that? And yet we knew we had to have the conversation. Jesse was smart. And it was only a few weeks before that he had exhibited some of his limited knowledge of what might happen to him when Valerie, his big sister, was swinging him. And he had said, "Uh, Sissy, some kids are blind. She said, yeah, Jesse, that's true. Some kids are blind. And he had said, someday I might be blind too, but for now I want to see for the whole week. We found some sad humor in that because we knew the whole week to a three-year-old was a very long time. But we sat him down on that Saturday morning, explaining carefully but on his level that his eye was very sick, and in order to keep the rest of his body from becoming sick, the doctor needed to take it out. He looked at us with no expression, simply said, I don't want to do that, jumped off the couch and ran out the front door. We didn't follow it up because we had never read a parenting book or any advice anywhere that could have prepared us for how to handle a situation like that, so we prayed and did the best we could. We felt that we had to do something that weekend, so my mom came to hang out with us. My sister Julia came. Tim went out and bought a puppy that we could not afford, and I took Jesse to Walmart to have his pictures taken. And it was on Monday morning, September the 11th. We were surrounded by our family and friends in the hospital as Jesse prepared to go back for the surgery. Tim and I both gowned up and carried him back, holding him close to us, until the bubblegum scent anesthesia closed his eyes. We had done this many times before, but this day it was different. We knew that when his eyes closed on this day, his world would remain dark. The emotion in the room was thick, and I looked up to see the anesthesiologist as she placed the mask over Jessie's face. I noted the tears that were running down her own and into her own mask. A few hours later, Tim and I stood over Jessie's still anesthetized body, His head was wrapped in bandages, but I could still see his curly hair sticking out through the top. The nurses had wrapped his favorite blanket around him. And to be honest, I was very glad that he was sleeping and couldn't see his daddy and I standing there 
crying. We could not control our tears. And to be honest with you, I was not thinking in that moment about God's goodness. I was not thinking anything high and lofty at all. I wasn't thinking about God's sovereignty. I wasn't thinking about anything except the finality of what we had allowed those doctors to do to our baby. How in the world were we going to raise a blind child? I thought, we knew nothing about blindness. How was he going to make it in this life with this disability thrust upon him? Would he be the same fun-loving kid that he'd always been? As we stood there grieving over what he had lost, my dad walked into the room. He put one arm around Tim and one arm around me. And I heard the catch in his voice when he spoke these words. He said, Tim and Becky, there is something that you have to remember right now in this moment, and you must never forget it. He said, and that is that God is still good. And he was right. Tim and I, in spite of our torn up emotions in that moment, we made a conscious choice to embrace the truth of, our, of, of what my dad had just spoken to us, that God is good. It was truly God's goodness that had led us to this day with our faith and our family intact. And it was His goodness that would somehow carry us through this day and the difficult ones to come. And what I would like for you to see this morning is that it is God's goodness that promises you and me today that there's coming a time, there's coming a day when He will wipe away every tear from your eye and there's not going to be any more crying or death or cancer or divorce or Alzheimer's or any other suffering that we endure in this world. Aren't you glad this morning that this world is not all there is? God is good and I'm so thankful for the people in my life that spoke truth into our hearts when we were going through that difficult time and constantly turned our gaze from our temporary suffering to the truth about God. We learned not only that God was good, but we also learned during that time that God was a God of compassion. God is a God of great compassion. I don't know how many of you ladies this morning have given birth. How many of you have experienced childbirth? Just raise your hand. And it's great to get together with your girlfriends and swap childbirth stories. It's so fun, isn't it? But I dare you to try to tell it to a man. Okay? He'll be in a coma in three seconds, guaranteed. Because he has no clue what you're talking about. I don't care if he wiped your forehead and held your hand and rubbed your back. He still doesn't know because he hasn't experienced it. But our God is not like that. He has compassion and he truly empathizes with us in our grief. One thing that Tim and I dreaded and we talked a lot about was how are we going to answer Jesse's questions when he wakes up and he can no longer see? Because we knew the questions would come. It was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. I had chosen to stay with him that night when he woke up from surgery. And I remember him, his hoarse little voice calling out to me at about 3 o'clock, Mommy? Mommy? Yeah, Jesse, Mommy's right here. I'm right here. Mommy, I can't see. Mommy, it's dark. Yeah, Jesse, I know it's dark. Remember, remember the surgery that we had to have today? And I climbed up into the bed, and I took him into my arms. And he began to say, Mommy, how am I going to ride my bike if I can't see? I can't ride my bike. 
And I can't go up and down our stairs if I can't see, Mommy. And I'm never going to be able to swing high on the swings again if I can't see. I tried to reassure him and tell him that, Jesse, we would figure out a way for him to ride his bike and climb the stairs and swing high on the swings. But it was a very difficult time. And then he said, Mommy, is this just going to be for four days with a hopeful tone in his voice? And I remembered that month before. I remembered uh, his first experience with blindness. And I remembered how his daddy and I had said, Jesse, it's going to be for four days and then you're going to be able to see. Mommy, is it going to be for only for four days? He said. But I also remember what else he had said on that night. His first night of blindness. He had noticed that I was choking back my own tears and he had said, Mommy, are you sad? I said, yeah, Jesse, Mommy is sad and I'm sad because you're sad and I'm sad because we had to have this surgery. And then his next words nearly stopped my heart. He said, Mommy, is Jesus crying? And I paused, but I only paused for a few seconds and I said, you know what, Jesse, yes, I think he is crying with us tonight because... I remember the story that I had heard so many times as a child of a Jesus who had wept with Mary and Martha at the death of their brother Lazarus. Hebrews 4.15 also says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weakness, but we have one who is tempted in every way as we are. And as I study this verse, I was so stunned to realize that it actually means he counts our miseries as his own. Think about that this morning. I don't know what you're experiencing. I don't know what pain you are holding that you can't even speak about to anyone else. But think about the fact that the God of the universe is counting your miseries as his own this morning. And so as I held my young son in my arms on that night, and as we grieved together over his loss, I somehow felt the participating presence of my Heavenly Father, that He was somehow entering into that sadness and sorrow with us. And with that presence, I felt His comfort and His peace. We also learn in a very real way that we serve a God who delivers. God may not protect you from every bad thing. You may have to walk through suffering and sorrow in this world, but God will bring deliverance. And His deliverance isn't always the deliverance that we would ask for. But He will deliver nonetheless. We came home from the hospital and tried to begin life as normal with this newly blind child. Some things were minimal and even a little bit funny. Uh, the kids had a habit of leaving junk laying around on the floor. And Jesse was tripping over shoes and whatever else. And... I thought to myself, this kid's not going to die of cancer. He's going to die of a head injury if he doesn't quit falling. And so I made a rule. I said, okay, everybody listen up. The next person who leaves their shoes on the floor gets blindfolded for an hour. I told Timothy and Valerie, I said, you're going to have to understand what this is like, you know, to have to trip over other people's things. Well, it wasn't very much later that Jesse tripped over his own shoes. And as I started to scold him, he said, well... You can't blindfold me. I'm already blindfolded. So he had a point. But it was a few days after that last surgery that Jesse changed from the happy uh, little boy that we had known, even through all of his cancer treatment, through all of his, you know, 
surgeries and shots and everything, he had been a happy, bubbly little guy. But all of a sudden, his personality changed. He became withdrawn and very angry. And he started asking us questions every day, and not just every day, but many times every day. He would say, Mommy, am I going to be able to see again on my birthday? And I would have to say, Jesse, no, honey, remember, I had to tell him the truth. And then, Mommy, what about Christmas time? Am I going to be able to see at Christmas? Well, what about when we move back to the Philippines? Will I be able to see then? And then he would say, well, can Timothy see? Timothy was his older brother. Yeah, Jesse, Timothy can see. Well, that's not fair. How come Timothy can see and I can't see? And he would end with tantrums and screaming and crying while his daddy and I stood by helpless. Look, we had no idea how to handle it. He was back in the hospital for a um, post-surgical infection. And there was an afternoon that we decided to take him for a ride around in a little red wagon. We got right out in the middle of the hallway and the questions began. Mommy, am I going to be able to see on my birthday? And as I answered each question negatively, he became angrier and angrier until at the end of that time, our little four-year-old boy had turned into a bundle of pitiful wailing. He was saying over and over, I want to see, I want to see, I want to see. Tim and I were done. We were absolutely at the end. We could not endure another moment. We forgot about where we were, and we weren't concerned about who was listening or who was in the hallway or what nurses were walking past. We stood there, and I remember crying out to God. Tim gently placed his hands on Jesse's head, and I began to pray. And my prayer went something like this. Dear Heavenly Father, we accept your will, and Lord, we even accept our son's blindness. But Father, we do not accept this. We can't bear this anymore, and so we are asking you in the name of Jesus to heal his heart. It was the very next day that Tim went down to get something to eat in the cafeteria, and I took Jesse to the playroom. He was playing happily at a Lego table, and there was another little patient there, a cute little African-American boy. They were playing together. Jesse was all bandaged up, and this little boy's looking at him, and finally he looks at me and he says, Can he see? And I thought to myself, Oh, please don't start this conversation again. Not now. But before I could think of an appropriate answer, Jesse spoke up, and he said, Nope, and I'm not ever going to see again. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to see. I was so stunned that I couldn't even think of anything to say, so I said, Nothing. He turned his head to me and said, Mommy, it's okay if I can't see. I still said nothing. And ten minutes later, when his daddy walked into the room, he turned to his dad and said, Daddy, it's okay if I can't see. And I'm telling you the truth when I say from that moment until today, he has never wasted another moment of sorrow on his blindness. Now tell me that God doesn't deliver. We serve a God who delivers... I was so overwhelmed on that afternoon, and I am still overwhelmed today, all these years later, to know with certainty that God is a God of deliverance and healing power. And you know, this power is especially seen in situations when our circumstances aren't always fixed. 
Sometimes God doesn't fix our circumstances. But sometimes God chooses to fix us. And he changes our focus from anger or even sad resignation to true acceptance and joy and anticipation for the future, even when it's a future that includes the very thing that we once thought we could never, it could never be compatible with joy or happiness. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I knew a short time later, a few months later, we went back to the Philippines about four months later, I knew that Jesse was going to be fine one day because we had hired a Filipino lady to tutor him. She was trained to teach the blind, and she was awesome. She was Jesse's Ann Sullivan, for those of you who are acquainted with Helen Keller. And I would take Jesse to her, and she had no pity on him. She was crippled. Her dad was blind. Her uncles were blind. She had endured so much suffering in her life, and so she was very matter-of-fact. And so one day on the way home from school, Jesse asked me this question. He said, Mommy, he said, am I handicapped? He said, Atimai told me I'm handicapped today. And I thought, oh, Mylene, what are you thinking? We haven't brought the word handicapped up yet. I don't want him to think he's handicapped. And so I was worried about his tender little emotions. And I started going around Robin Hood's barn explaining to him that, you know, handicap really means that you can't do things for yourself. And Jesse, since you're so independent, your blindness is more of an inconvenience rather than a handicap. But I said, nevertheless, some people will always call you handicapped. Well, he kind of breathed a big sigh of relief and said, does that mean I'm going to have to park my car in one of those handicapped parking places when I grow up? (laughs) That was all he cared about. That was it. Now, I'm not minimizing the hassle of being blind. It's not a walk in the park, trust me. It's not what we would have ever chosen for him. And I'm sure if he had had to choose, he wouldn't have chosen it for himself. There are daily challenges. Just ask Jesse what it's like to run into the hallway door when his sweet but sometimes very thoughtless little sisters leave it wide open. Or chart algebra equations on a tactile graph board using push pins and rubber bands. He hates math, by the way. Or just trying to get around in a world that's very much geared for people who can see. It's not easy, but God is good. And you know what? I feel no pity for him this morning. I know that God is wise and sovereign and has a beautiful and custom-made plan for his life, just as he does for yours and mine this morning. I so identify with the verse of Scripture in Isaiah that promises, and I will give thee treasures of darkness and riches in hidden places. I have experienced these treasures and riches in so many unexpected moments along the way, like when I watched Jesse hike in the rainforest of the Philippines, holding on to his dad's backpack for guidance and enjoying every minute of it. I was so overwhelmed, and I remember saying, Jesse, think about this. This You could be the first blind person that has ever walked this far back in the rainforest. I loved to watch him swim and dive off the diving board. My heart was full of both delight and trepidation when Ken Weber took him skiing, and he stayed up, actually, for a very long time and had a great time. He's now pressing his dad, and they're making plans to go skydiving on his 18th birthday, but I hope Jesus comes back first, because I don't think I can, I can handle that. These and so many other moments have been graciously given to us as gifts from an awesome and wonderful God who can take the bitterest of circumstances in our lives and turn them into the sweetest of blessings. And what I want to leave you with is what that's what he wants to do in your life this morning too. I don't know what kind of hurts and sorrow and 
ourselves are represented in this room, but I know that there are many. And some of you maybe need to catch a new glimpse of your suffering in the light of eternity. It was very shortly after Jesse went blind, I think it was his first time to go to church, that we walked into church on a Sunday evening in this wonderful church in Michigan. They had been with us every step of the way. They had supported us. They had lived every moment with us. And I remember everybody being sad that night. We, we took Jesse into church and everybody's trying to hold back their tears when they're, they're looking at him and he's blind now. And, and everybody felt a little bit sad. But when we started to sing congregational singing, we started to sing that song, When We All Get to Heaven, What a Day of Rejoicing That Will Be. And for some reason, Jesse just had it in him to stand up on the pew, we were in the second pew, and began to clap his hands, throw his head back, and sing to the top of his lungs. It was such a spectacle. This was a small church, and more of a sedately worshiping church, okay? They don't clap and stuff at this church. But when the, when the course was done, the pastor stood up, and he said, you know what? If Jesse can stand up on this bench up here and clap his hands, then we're going to do the same. We're all going to stand up, and we are going to clap, and we are going to sing as loud as we can. And you know, there was so much joy in that room as we when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we all see Jesus. And there wasn't joy in that room because he was cute, and you know, he was just a cute little kid, and he was singing and clapping. But there was joy in that room because in spite of the, the tragedy of a four-year-old boy going blind, our eyes were lifted to the reality of heaven. And what a day it will truly be. Because you know what? As Christians, the truth is that our lives are no different than millions of others who have gone before us. We don't live in this world without suffering, sorrow, problems, stress, sickness. But as believers, most importantly, we do not live without hope. We have hope this morning. John 16.33 says, Jesus said these words, In this world you will have trouble. But he didn't stop there. He said, Take heart because I have overcome the world. I was so blessed this week when I read in Dennis Kenlaw's book, he says the first two chapters of Genesis and the last two chapters of Revelation contain no reference whatsoever to evil or to the devil. Satan does not appear at the beginning, and he will not appear at the end. You know what our ultimate reality is this morning? Ultimate reality for you and me this morning is that the beginning and the end of all things will not be evil. Goodness and beauty filled the beginning and they will fill the end because of the presence of a faithful God. That is our hope this morning.